Yo-ho, and welcome back to Ride Better Faster, a show about cycling, training, and racing. I'm Damien Roos. In this episode, we're going to take a deep dive into the training of Belgium pro Victor Campenatz. Getting a look at his power numbers, training load, FTP, VLA max, and many more numbers, and what methodology and training his coach uses, plus a bunch of other cool inside info. And then we're going to take a look at training masks. Are they all they're hyped up to be garbage, or do they have a specific use case in cycling? Hello, Victor Campenarts here. Let's start with who Victor Campenarts is. He's a Belgian pro cyclist with the NTT pro cycling team. He's a time trial specialist with results like a stage at Torino Adriatico, third in the individual time trial world championships, where he was one second from silver, and two-time European continental individual time trial champion. And he also has a YouTube channel, which I just discovered. It's pure gold. It's a little wonky, a little rough around the edges, but that's just the way we like it, because Victor, he's a straight shooter, and the audience gets an unfiltered look at his life. And for us training nerds, we get a deep dive into his training. I've done a massive binge on the channel, and I'm here to give you all of the gold nuggets on his training and race preparation. I will say that I found this most fascinating because there's some things that I do with my athletes very differently, and it's a great look at someone that's used other methodologies to be successful. Of course, I've refined my own training over the years, but there are many paths to high-performance success, and this is just one. First, though, some broad strokes, and I will warn you that I also get a little wonky just spitting out some numbers here and there. Okay, so Victor is coached by Kurt Lobestal. He has coached Victor for 10 to 12 years or so from the time that he was in fifth grade doing triathlon. There was a formal two-year break when Victor was at Lotto Yumbo because he wasn't allowed to coach him, but Kurt was still following along all of his training, so he was able to pick up again when he changed to his next team. Now, I want to dive in a little bit and talk about training load and the trends that have taken place from 2016 up until 2020, or where we are now. In 2016, his CTL reached approximately 160 after riding the Welter, where it got to a similar peak in 2017, but only after base training. So peaking in March and steadily declining down to around 130 or 120 by the time he got to November. In 2018, with Kurt back in control and a full race program that included the Giro and the Criterium du Dauphiné, his CTL got to approximately 190 and peaked at over 200 after the Welter. And this was also the year that he got his best result ever, the third place in the ITT at Worlds. After the high came the lows, and he started his 2019 campaign with a lower CTL compared to the previous two years. So approximately 60 CTL versus 70 and 90 in the two years before. But after a rapid base block, he was back up at 150 CTL by the end of March, where he won the Torino Adriatico opening ITT before taking on the world hour record, which he got, but the rest of the year was a wash where he went to the Giro again, but as his DS says, he was cooked. And even though he was able to build his CTL to a peak of approximately 180, 190 before July, he never recovered CTL points after that. So it hasn't all been smooth sailing, and this is typical of what I see with pro cyclists. 
racing gets in the way of building volume. When you have two or three months, you spend a lot of time building volume rapidly, being able to recover because you don't have much else going on, hopefully. Then racing comes first and everything else has to work around that, sometimes to the sacrifice of your overall volume. And talking about overall volume, let's get into some training. In their base phases, Kurt uses polarized training. And in his words, this type of training is black and white. So it's either very easy or very hard. And they describe both of these as riding with no power prescriptions. So easy days are not prescribed at 60 to 70% of FTP, for example. They're just cruising along. Mostly six-hour rides, five-hour rides on the bike. And Kurt mentions that these rides usually end up being at around 50% of FTP or so. But basically, he just says go out for five or six hours and just make it easy. On the other side of that, we have very hard days. And Kurt calls himself modest when it comes to prescribing the intervals on these very hard days. And from what I've seen, I'd say sparse is the word that is most appropriate here. But we'll get into some details in a moment. These also don't have power prescriptions, which is something important to not lock a rider into and something that I will also do when it comes to these shorter VO2 max style efforts because you want to try and get the athlete to spend as much time above 90% of VO2 max as possible and sometimes a number can hamper that. Regarding the types of intervals in the base phase, you get things like five times one minute all out with a full recovery between each, so at least seven to ten minutes of riding. They actually will add some of what they call grey training with some high zone four, sort of 105% of FTP to prepare for time trials in their build later on in the season. And these intervals will also be longer, but there will be some other intervals, shorter and harder ones to work with these. On a side note here, in the two years that Victor was with Lotto Yumbo and not being coached by Kurt, he actually did a lot more gray area type training, which I imagine just means they did a lot of sweet spot tempo, a lot of this in the middle training. The interesting thing that I heard on one video come out of Victor and Kurt's mouth was that this time actually proved to both of them that Victor's work capacity or ability to handle a lot of volume and hard work was a lot more than they thought. So then they were probably able to push harder in the years after that. So it was a good lesson in being able to give Victor a little bit more than they had before that. One of the best videos on the channel for training nerds, though, is a conference call with Victor, Kurt, a guy called Kieran O'Grady, the NTT team coach, Fiona Reese, NTT team manager, Hendrik Redent, personal sports director for Victor, and Rick Verberger, sorry Rick, the Belgian national team coach. They cover a lot of ground on the call, but the most interesting part is the protocol that Victor and Kurt completed from March for eight weeks. They codenamed it Base Camp Everest because they got Victor up to 4,600 meters of altitude, which is the same as the Everest Base Camp. Duh. The performance results of this protocol were tested in a 20-minute test. Everyone seemed happy with the results, which worked out to be an FTP of 398 watts, which is a progression, and I believe his best ever 20-minute test, so then best ever FTP that Victor's ever had because they made a comparison to the 2019 World Championships time trial when he came third, and he did 378 watts for one hour and three minutes. 
The eight-week protocol had Victor sleeping in his 10,000 euro altitude tent setup, which consists of four altitude generators, one of which was given to him by Sven Nice, and it's all fed from the room upstairs through a purpose drill hole above his bedroom, and all the pipes and everything are fed down. So he actually doesn't have any of the noise of the generators going. So sleeping must be a lot easier. Not easy though. The first three weeks of the protocol, you have one and a half weeks where you're building up from 2,000 meters to 4,600 meters. So two days at 2,100 meters and then two days at 2,700 meters until you're hitting 4,600 meters and then spending one and a half weeks sleeping at 4,600 meters with one day off and then two days off in a row at sea level, most likely after hard training sessions. And speaking of training, it was decreased to eight hours a week in the second week. So there's a bit of give and take here because recovery would have been very, very difficult sleeping at that high of a simulated altitude. This was all being monitored by the team doctor and they monitored sleep quality with a wearable blood oxygen saturation and heart rate. They tried to maintain a blood oxygen saturation of 90 to 95%. He also took a bunch of supplements like copper, vitamin D, vitamin C, and some other vitamins and minerals. Then moving into the second week, which was the second block, it was recovery with easy training weeks at around 500 kilometers per week and moderate intensity, meaning he did one Zwift race and then one session of five times one minute all out. In the final three weeks, they stepped up the training with three big training weeks and TSS, weekly TSS here, 900, 650, 850. They started with an inside test where his VO2 max was 88, his VLA max was 0.65. And the goal then was to increase the VO2 max and control the VLA max. They didn't want to decrease that VLA max too much. And they did this by doing a lot of five and six hour rides, doing them easy. And here's what I mean by sparse intervals. Over the three weeks, they did two Zwift sessions. One was a race and the other was a team training session. They did a session that was four by four minutes all out with 10 minutes rest between each. They did a session that was three times 40 seconds all out. And they did another session that was eight by two minutes all out, four outside and four inside. And that's it. Listening to that, how does your training compare? I bet you have a lot more actual intervals and a lot more complexity in your training. After this, he did a the 20 minute test that I mentioned at the start of this. And then he took 10 days of recovery before a six week block. And those six weeks were broken up into two, three weeks where two weeks of training, one week recovery. And the same goal again, increasing VO2 max and controlling VLA max. Basically, if this part is not making any sense, VLA max is your anaerobic power and it works in relation to your aerobic power. One goes up, the other goes down and vice versa. And the problem with pros is that racing generally increases your VLA max and reduces your VO2 max. You have to watch out that you're not decreasing your VO2 max unnecessarily. And Kurt calls this controlling your VO2 max, which is a useful way of framing it. But this six weeks includes more volume, which we know will mean more easy five and six hour rides. But here Victor gets introduced to longer intervals at 105% of FTP to decrease VLA max and short and hard intervals to increase VLA max. Again, there's that balance of controlling it. And this all led to an eighth at this year's World Championships. I'm not sure if Victor's happy with that, but he did not have a perfect run-in with an injury after a crash leading up to this. 
The next part I want to touch on is something that Victor is known for, which is aerodynamics. And it plays a huge part in his time trialing because you've heard the numbers and they aren't that big. For example, when you look at the watts per kilograms for his FTP after the Everest Base Camp 20 minute test, it comes out to 390 watts. So divide that by what I think his weight was at the time is 69 kilograms and it's 5.8 watts per kilo. Compare this to someone like Mick Rogers who at his peak was 450 watts for an FTP and you divide that by 75 and that's 6 watts per kilogram. But the difference is made up in TT preparation, which is a combination of his CDA and the work he does to stay in his most aero position. So starting with the time he spends on the TT bike, where he starts after a break away from the TT bike and builds up over time in that position. So he'll start with, say, five minutes in the position, five minutes out, and then he'll go 10 minutes in, five minutes out, 15 minutes in, five minutes out, building all the way to two hours in and one minute out. Of course, it's done over a couple of weeks and he's spending a lot of time each week on the bike. He's spending between six and eight hours a week on his time trial bike. He does all of his efforts on the TT bike. And you combine this with all the mobility, stability and trunk work that he does to specifically stay in that position. It's a serious commitment to aero. And talking about aero, his CDA is low. In his hour record, his CDA is estimated to be around 0.17 with a power of 386 watts for the hour at an altitude of around 2,000 meters. On the road TT bike, he shows some results from testing he did on November 27, 2019 when he changed bikes because of a change in team going from Ridley to BMC. His average CDA at 40 to 50 kilometers an hour was 0.168 for one of those tests. The tests on the day were checking which size of bike was better and it was confirmed that the medium size bike frame was slower than the small size. He also mentioned after this that his CDA is even a little lower at 0.160. To put these numbers into perspective, at the same power over 40 kilometers with a CDA of 0.23, which is a respectable number, you're looking at a five plus minute difference. Pretty incredible. And running the numbers in comparison to Mick Rogers and a higher CDA, you're looking at a three plus minute difference. Again, it's a really big difference. Interestingly, when you hear him talk about aerodynamics, he's well-versed in testing. He's done things like gloves, no gloves, beard, no beard, visor, no visor, bow issue retention versus laces, tubeless, tubulars, tri-spoke deep dish, and on and on and on. And this is where the gains are made and he knows it. And I can tell that he has spent hours on this stuff. By the way, when you do a test, when he, it's expensive. This test or the tests that he does, I think they're done at the Eddie Merckx track in Ghent. And I'm not sure how much it's costing him, but if you wanted to do it, it would cost you 1,200 euros for a three-hour test that includes a test report and a video. But he also brings a bunch of people on the day. He had his coach, a lead mechanic, a time trial-specific mechanic, and a performance analysis, as well as the person that was running the tests. That's a pretty significant investment by the team to ensure that he's as fast as possible. Now, I'll round this out with some of the extra work that Victor does, like the three videos dedicated to building increasingly better saunas in his apartment so he can do heat training. There's also the breathing exercises with a power breath that he does three times a week and the FD Bro training mask that he puts on three times a week when he does easy rides. Then, of course, there's Wim Hof style cold showers. 
Victor is very engaged in the process of being an athlete. He's open to trying and using many new and unproven and proven methods. But overall, I get the sense that he's a no BS kind of guy. And I definitely appreciate that. I appreciate his openness to share his entire training history, training methods and numbers with the world. It's a great insight and a unique look into the high performance world of a professional cyclist. Thanks for doing it, Victor and Jeff and Kurt. I can't wait to see what you come up with next. Now it's time once again for The Chaser, the segment of the show where I talk about something that is probably unreleased, untested, or has nothing to do with cycling. And this time it's the FD Bro, FD Bro mask that Victor uses. Masks similar to this were all the rage a few years back in a lot of sports. They didn't come to cycling though. But back then it was a company called Training Mask and it was categorized as a thing called an elevation training mask, which as you, as you might guess, was claiming that the benefits of using the mask were similar to training at altitude. The design of the mask restricts the oxygen flow using flux valves that limit the amount of air entering the mask and therefore the lungs, which they claim does a whole bunch of things. Enhance athletic performance and increase endurance and VO2 max. That's a big one. Number two, improve lung function, simulate altitude, induce a normobaric hypoxic condition, strengthen the respiratory muscles, increase stamina, improve endurance, increase strength and power. Wow, big claims. And unfortunately, I can't find a study that uses well-trained athletes to prove any of these. There is a study in the Journal of Sports Science and Medicine called Effect of Wearing the Elevation Training Mask on Aerobic Capacity, Lung Function and Hematological Variables. But the subjects have a VO2 max of 45. And, and of course, it increased after a six-week invention of two sessions a week on the bike, 20 minutes of 30 seconds on, 90 seconds off. But a similar improvement was also seen in the control group in addition. And there was no change in lung function after 12 weeks. There is no doubt, however, that the mask makes it more difficult to breathe, making it more like a respiratory muscle training device. So that may be one way that it could be a potential method to enhance your physical performance, which is exactly what the FD Bro mask is claiming. This mask claims to be the ultimate respiratory training device. So what is respiratory muscle training? It's training that can be defined as a technique that aims to improve the function of the respiratory muscles through specific exercises. It consists of a series of breathing exercises performed to increase the strength and endurance of respiratory muscles and thereby improve the respiratory system. I don't know if there's a specific training system attached to the FD Bro training mask. I know that it has six settings that you can gradually reduce the flow of air, forcing you to inhale fuller, deeper breaths. But it's not like the power breath, which actually Victor does use three times a week. But even the power breath, the science around this is still not clear. There's several findings that suggest that improvements in respiratory muscle training in respiratory muscle function are not transferable to VO2 max or endurance exercise capacity. There's little knowledge surrounding respiratory muscle training in the literature regarding its benefits on exercise performance or its effects on respiratory parameters. So it's really hard to recommend something like the power breath. But the FD Bro mask is slightly different. I think it has a very specific use case for cycling. And it's something that I've thought about for a while, but I've never implemented for whatever reason. I just haven't got my hands on a mask. But it's a way to break you down quicker. 
In the gym, I've seen that it's a way to accelerate form breakdowns so you know what to work on quicker and then you can make corrections instead of getting to a level of fatigue where you probably can't correct those corrections until the next time and that may be really hard to do. And Victor uses it in a slightly similar way to this where he will simulate threshold breathing at really low watts. So sitting on low watts on the trainer, it enables him to get to a threshold-like breathing state without the effort or the fatigue of actually training at that level. Then he practices his breathing, deep in, deep out breathing. And this is actually a good way to use the mask to practice an under-trained skill, breathing. Being able to train this at a lower physical and mental strain is a good way to perfect the technique. So I think this is a very good way to use this mask. And I guess the six settings makes you find the right one for you. But I see him throwing in a small session, 30 minutes here, an hour there, whatever, sitting there on the TT bike, practicing his breathing. So definitely something that I think would be very beneficial and pretty low hanging fruit, pretty easy to implement. But that's all I got. I hope you enjoyed this week. Ride Better Faster is written, hosted, and scored by me, Damien Roos. You can check out more episodes at semiprocycling.com. Until next time, ride well.